0: Well, this is the last in our series of a simple Christmas, and it's been about eight, eight or nine weeks of uh, just going through uh, this time. And just as a kind of a advertisement preview for next week, um, we're going to start a series on Ezra Nehemiah. And um, main reason for that is, you know, Ezra Nehemiah talks about um, when when the second wave of exiles returned to. To the, to the Holy Land, and they returned to Jerusalem, and, and, uh, and it helped them get ready to do that. And I think for us, you know, 2021 is gonna be uh, the second wave of coronavirus exiles are gonna be coming back to the, to the church, and, and there's been those of us who've been here, and then the second wave is coming back, and, and I think there's a lot that we can learn and gain from, from seeing um, just you know how God worked through people like Ezra, Nehemiah, and the others who were faithful. but before we go there we 're going to finish up this series and and you know we've been again it's the idea was simple. make it a simple Christmas, simple questions: who is Jesus? And we answered that with he 's the Son of God he 's the Word become flesh, He is the savior and the again, each one of those phrases is just, it's just full of so much more that we can, we can you know, expound, but just to know that, just to know that He is the Son of God, the incarnate Word, the Savior of us all, that is enough just where we can start and then know that, there's, that we should just delve into no more. The second question is, what did he come to do? And we talked about how he came to give us peace with God. He came to, to save us. He came to uh, protect us, to lead us, to guide us. And then we talked about why did he come? And, and the, one of the reasons he came was, was because it's our our fault. We, we created this trap when we rejected him. We rebelled against God. We created a trap where we became enslaved to our sins. We couldn't escape our, our minds that are leading us farther and farther away from God, the lusts of our flesh, and we were trapped. But that really wasn't the main reason. The main reason that he came was because this was God's plan from the beginning. It's why he created. He didn't create just to create a world, and then we messed it up, and then he went, oh, man, what am I going to do No, God's plan has always been to establish a kingdom. As hard as it is for us sometimes to sort this out, creation was just one stage along the way. God's plan was going to be unfolded in multiple stages. And creation, just one plan. This life, this existence, just one part of that plan. And we need to understand it's his kingdom purpose. And his kingdom purpose was you know, to, to create this establish this kingdom which was you know, gonna be inhabited by these people who 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 could freely love as he loves. And to see the beauty and the power that that comes from people who can who can love as only God can love. When it talks about the display of his glory. That's the display. For God to display his glory, it's who he is, it's God. But the fact that God can display his glory through people like us, as imperfect and weak as we are, that he can shine his light, that his love can can pour out through, through our selfish hands, our selfish hearts, it's even more powerful display of his glory and when a group of us gets it right when a community when a body of Christ gets it right and we're no longer just living in this world for ourselves we're no longer even coming to church for what we get out of it even though we get so much out of it but we're here because we're bound together by his spirit and his love and we know that being together helps one another and then it helps us to do the purposes that he's given to us to be in this community. When we know all that, it's amazing. And then we said, okay, so what should we do? He did all of that. And he, so what should we do? And, and we talked about our first thing is that we need to believe. We need to believe not just in God. We need to believe not just in Jesus. Yes, we need to believe in God. We need to believe in Jesus. But we also need to believe that His kingdom is worth all that we are. His kingdom, if it were demanded of you, is worth your very life. We, if, if we're ever called to give our lives for Christ, we don't give our lives for Christ thinking because we gave our lives for Christ that we will gain some kind of reward. Any reward the Bible talks about that we might gain in heaven, it also says that what we're going to do when we see Jesus, really see Jesus, we're going to take every crown and throw it at his feet. The reward isn't the crown. It's doing what our Savior and our Lord asked us to do. We need to believe. We need to believe that His plan is not just a good plan. His plan is not just the best plan. But as I say often, that God's plan for this world is the only plan the only one that doesn't end in destruction or doesn't end in somebody taking over and forcing us to get along. Well, what should we do besides believe? Well, part of it is to live this out, but it's also to tell others. Tell others, and last week we talked about that with the shepherds, that God has entrusted us not just to to live out this faith, but to tell others. This private secret or this, you know, people will get it just from watching, what a great example. I know this, I'm not a great example of, you know, Jesus Christ that people can just look at me and go, "Who can tell Jesus got a hold of him, my kids learned long time ago. My red, you know, it doesn't look like happy when I'm just actually happy. So with, but with all of that, we know that we're you know we're earthen vessels. We're 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 weak. We we make mistakes. If you're relying. On your life as the witness, you got a really high opinion of your life. Jesus is much more, much higher, much holier, much purer for display, even on my best day. I'm going to get a microphone. Is that okay? Okay, all right, now we're good. Since the pandemic, I don't burn as many calories because um, I usually walk around, but I kind of stay behind this shield so I can use a stationary mic. But, but we're called to, to tell others. They need to know the hope that's within us. We need to be able to explain it. Well, we come to this last this last sermon, and we're going to be talking about, you know, what is Jesus continuing to do? talked about what he's done. We've celebrated his birth. You know, on Christmas Eve, we observed the Lord's Supper. We, We remembered what happened on the cross. But what does he continue to do? Where is this all leading? And, you know, to kind of get there, you know, I was um, looking up this word, um, utopia. You guys have heard the word utopia before, and I didn't really know where that word came from. Um, and so I was looking it up, and I realized it's a kind of a made-up word. It's a word that was the name of a book written in the 16th century by Sir Thomas More. And utopia was um, this kind of mythical island it was an island kind of kingdom. That's the, the the book's not about utopia. It's a it's it's about um, you know Europe and Europe struggling with you know th- different things and, and a person who had been to Utopia is is coming and being asked to give advice and he's telling them about Utopia. He's telling them how on this island there's no love of of gold. There's, you know, there there were no class distinctions, no meaningful ones. Uh, there's no poverty, uh, no crime, or very little crime or immoral behavior. Uh, there was religious tolerance and little inclination to war. And of course, being on an island and you know not having direct contact with with any other place, you know, kind of made it possible for them but but this this helps us understand that that this idea this this desire for a a better society a good society no matter how you define it that it's not a new idea you know it's it's not something that you know modern people just came up with in fact if if you want to think about the emperors if you want to think about the emperors from from Rome and before, if you want to think about them in the best light possible, then you can see that what some of them were trying to do is not simply spread their, their empire, but what, what some of them were trying to do was to actually create some kind of stability because they knew one of the fundamental problems with the world that they lived in was constant war. And as long as you had little kingdoms that wanted to be bigger kingdoms, you were always going to have war. And so the hope was, if I can establish an empire, I can create stability. In fact, we call the time, we we look back and we call the time around when Jesus was born, we call it Pax Romana, which is the peace of Rome. But... For there to be that kind of peace, it required incredible force. For the Romans to maintain any kind of peace, it required the strongest army known in history at that time. It required a centralized government. It required a lot, and even then, they couldn't hold it together for very long. And there were constant outbreaks. You see, because one of the things you've heard me say before is that all utopian ideals, I don't care if they're from the 16th century, the 19th century, the 20th century, or today. I don't care if they go back and predate even that. But all utopian ideals, all ideals about a society without, where we all share and without class and without crime, all utopian ideals break down when the same kid wants the same toy, they all break down. When the k- same kids want the same cookie, and we know this, we, we know this because all of us who've ever had to either, you know, hopefully deal with other people's kids, not your own, but, but you've ever seen, you know, you've ever been down, been in the preschool nursery or whatever, when two kids want the same toy, It doesn't even matter that you have an identical toy. They want that toy. And so what's gonna happen? Utopia isn't gonna be utopia for at least one person and probably for more. Because the two kids aren't gonna be happy no matter what. You aren't gonna be happy and they're probably making everybody else miserable. You see, we live in this world We live in this world that understands something about God's kingdom. That God's kingdom is about a kingdom of true peace, true love, true sharing, where you can actually remove class distinctions, where crime is minimized, and in fact, when the kingdom comes in full, it's eliminated. No immorality. That there's a sense that we have towards that. And people have tried different ways to establish it. But they want to do it without God. In fact, the 20th century is, is the great failed experiment of utopian ideals. A lot of what was happening in places like in the, in the Soviet Union and in China and other places of the world, they, they were trying to... They, create these, these new societies, conservative estimates, conservative estimates say that some of these countries killed 30 to 100 million of their own people trying to establish a new society. Think about that. That was the price they're willing to pay for some kind of better utopian society. It's such a big number that we can't even fathom it. A hundred million of your own people. That's not you going to war against somebody else. That's you killing your own people. And that's not counting the other countless like brutalities and suffering that came upon people. You know, if you, again, haven't read about this or understand this, you know, just go look up the word gulag and read about the gulags. The world wants some kind of peace, you know, they want this kind of love, but they think that they can have it without God. They think they can have it without holiness, Because let's be honest, the thing that people don't like about God the most is the fact that God is holy. People are perfectly willing to accept a God who does stuff for them but never expects anything from them. We like that God. We like the God that when I'm in trouble, I pray to him and he gets me out of trouble. When I'm scared, he comforts me. I like that God. When I need something, he provides. But I don't necessarily really like the God who expects something from me. And I really don't like the God who expects me to be like him. I'm really not fond of that God. And so it's no wonder that the world wants to take the characteristics of the kingdom and sees that God's got a pretty good idea about how we should live. And they want to try to do it without God. As a result, no matter what we do, it's doomed. It's doomed to fail. And part of the problem is, is it. in in our world, is that we want to try to bring together two ideas. We want to bring together the idea of freedom because we think that the object of life is to be happy and the best way to be happy is to be free to do what you want. Because if I'm free to do what I want, then if I can do it, then I will be happy. So it begins with this addiction to happiness which then means I need freedom so I can do it, I want to be happy. But you see, that idea of freedom, that idea of life, the purpose of life is to be happy, cannot coexist with true unity. Because again, eventually, we're going to want the same cookie. You know, every... Every year, those of you who like sports, for example, you know, every year in the NFL, there's only one Super Bowl winner. But I tell you this, every single team wants to be that winner. But there's only one. How can we have unity and this idea of happiness and freedom it's impossible, it's doomed to fail. Someone's gonna have to say, You don't get what you want, so that you can get what you want. And so, you need some kind of power, you need oftentimes violence. In fact, in our world's construct, it requires violence to preserve a world without violence. If we are just how we are, and there's nothing that changes us, the only way we can preserve a world without violence is through violence. Now I know you're, you might be thinking like, well, that's not what they're teaching me in you know, sociology class, or that's not what I saw when I watched Star Trek. Um, no, you, you need to understand you know this this island of utopia there was still the threat of war but what allowed it to have some kind of like like stability was the fact that it was separated from the continent it was off on its own but they still had to face the threat of war And so, what what is Jesus continuing to do? What is he trying to establish? What is his project? Well, we're going to look at Revelation. And we're going to look at one of John's visions in, in Revelation. And here, he sees the throne room of God. And and he's he's at, he's in the throne room of God which i i believe i'm not a 100% sure of this but you know it doesn't change the the meaning of it but i believe he's there at one of the most important moments in human history that in fact it's one of the most important moments in in God's history because it's it's this moment It's this moment when the resurrected Christ re-enters the throne room of God. Let's read this in Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. It says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll uh, written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. Get the picture here. Before we go on, just get the picture here. John is there, he's seeing this vision, and the way he's seeing the vision, he's actually present wherever the vision is taking place. He's not just seeing it. And he realizes what those scrolls contain. He doesn't know exactly what they contain, but he knows that, that what need, those scrolls are going to, to reveal you know, what God is doing. He's going to do. It's this idea of the gospel, the salvation, the kingdom that it's, it's somehow even though he doesn't fully understand he knows it's in those scrolls that if God is going to accomplish what God intends to accomplish with his creation and with humanity those scrolls need to be opened because the opening of the scrolls was not just so I can read it and give it information it showed the unveiling of it the releasing of it And, and he's, he sees it. He knows it. And then he hears that question, who's worthy to open it? And no one, no one steps up. I, later on, there's going to be this thing where it says there was silence in heaven. I think there's silence here too. I think it's one of those, those moments where where you know, there's, there's this question of who will go? Who will do this? Who is able and willing? And there's silence. And John, you know, um, it doesn't tell us this, but I got to think John is just looking. He's looking around. Will somebody step up? And there's silence. And he knows what it means. He knows that if no one can open this seal, God's plan, it's done. It's finished. And he weeps. He says, He weeps loudly. I wonder. I wonder if we're were to trade places with John, I wonder if we would react the same way. That, you know, if no one was able to open it, we're like, well, bummers. Really would have been nice to know, but all right, get me out of this vision. Let's go to the next one. would we have known what was going on would we have known what was at stake and would we have wept one of the things that has kept me it has just it has kept me not just being a christian but has kept me wanting to be a christian with all that i am is because it's because you know about 20 years ago I was kind of at this crossroads in my life. And it was never a question of whether I was going to continue to be a Christian or not. But it was a question of, you know, how serious am I going to be about this? Because I had enough examples of people that were happy to be here Christians, and I could be one of those. If I thought that all that Christianity was was, you know, me trying to, you know, follow what Christ says and, you know, be a good person and live a good life. I could do that. But I took this course that forever changed my life. And it wasn't really a course I even thought about, like I wanted to take it. I took it because it was convenient I was working full time trying to get my master's and so I had, to, I had to take classes whenever they were open and it was one summer, I knew I had time and, and it was a class on the Trinity. And I had no idea what that class was going to do to me. But when I took that class, I not only gained a better understanding of the Trinity, what I understood was God's kingdom, God's kingdom is awesome. God's kingdom is beautiful. God's kingdom is really all that matters. And it's worth me devoting my mind to to understand more. It's worth me devoting my life to to help even bring tastes of that kingdom into this world. And it's worth, it's worth living Christianity and, and doing things in such a way that, that we try to impact far beyond just my life, my family, my church. That it is the hope for the world. That if the world doesn't become more of what it means to be Trinitarian, and I don't mean just believing in the Trinity. I mean living as the Trinity lives. If we don't understand that, if we don't get it, if that doesn't get more and more into our world, there really is no hope. And it was worth it. I can't tell you I know as much as John knew. The reason I knew what I knew is because I read and studied John. But John weeps. He wasn't just weeping because there were souls that were going to go to hell. He was weeping because what God came to do seemed to be forever sealed up. then it says this. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures... And the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain the Lamb. You know, when, when John first is there, he, he doesn't see the Lamb. And then suddenly he sees the Lamb. And like I said, I have no proof that John is there at the moment. He gets to see and envision the moment when, when, when Jesus returns to the throne room. But for him, that's exactly what it is. The Lamb is standing there. And you know, the way John describes him, it's kind of kind of freaky. Um, you know, he's got seven horns with seven eyes and these are all like symbolic things. Um, Andrew, one of the guys who comes to our young adults, he, he does artwork for t-shirts and things and I guess I should have had that artwork up, uh, but he made me a t-shirt that Like, if you don't know what it is, it looks kind of scary. You know, it's got this ram-looking thing with, you know, seven eyes, seven horns coming out of its head. But the lamb is there. And everyone knows, everyone knows, he is worthy. He is worthy. You see, that's the reason Jesus is the only way to the Father. That's why he says in John 14, 6, he's not saying it because he's trying to be exclusive. He's not saying it because he's trying to brag. But it's because he knows in John fourteen six what he's going to face. That he is the only way to the Father because he alone is worthy. And he's worthy not simply because of what he did on the cross, that is part of it, a huge part of it. But he's also worthy because he comes from the Father. He's not, only, he's not the only one who's, who's willing to do it. I think we could find a lot of people who would be willing to be crucified if it meant that you would save the rest of the world from its sin. I think a lot of people would be, yeah, I'm willing but you're not able oh you're able to die that's that's not in question but you're not able to die for anyone's sin jesus alone is able and willing he's the only one who could and he's the only one who did and he alone is worthy The second thing we see with this image of the, of this, the lamb, the powerful lamb, or, or sometimes the warrior lamb, that he's the powerful lamb who calls all people to God. He calls all people to God. You know, talks about him, you know, with this idea of the seven horns and seven eyes, and, and then it says the seven spirits of God, you know, that's what the seven eyes are, that are sent out into all the earth. And we're going to realize why this is sent out through all the earth, and it's because when the worship comes, the worship comes from every nation, every, lang- every language, every tribe, every tongue, He's the Lamb who who calls all people to him. It's, it's, it's different. God's plan is different. It's, it's not like you know all of the, the, the man-made religions. It's different. It's not just for one favored ethnic group or for one you know, kingdom or, or you know, one region. This isn't a national God. He's the creator God who doesn't just love the Jewish people. He does love the Jewish people. But John 3.16 tells us he loved the world. The world that he created. But make no mistake, that idea of this powerful, you know, that's the idea of the horns is all about power and lamb. We don't usually think of a lamb as powerful. You know, we think of lambs as cute and cuddly and um, don't want to offend my daughter, but some people think of them as delicious. But, but really, we don't think about you know, lambs as being powerful, as strong. I mean, it's the L.A. Rams, not the L.A. Lambs. You know, you're not going to name your, your football team after lambs. So that tells us something though. Just like last week when we read about the shepherds. It tells us something about the nature of this kingdom because we learn about the nature of the king. He's powerful, make no mistake. But he's presented as the lamb. It's different. Jesus didn't just come to change the rules. Jesus came to change the entire game. He changed the whole purpose of living. And he's not changing it necessarily to something new. He's actually restoring what was you know, God's intention from the beginning. But it's a different way. We no longer live in this world simply for our own survival or simply for our own pleasure. We don't live in this world just to acquire and to accomplish for ourselves. We don't even do it just so that we can maybe take care of our family and our loved ones. That's not why we we exist in this world. I'm going to tell you there have been times in history that if the objective of being a parent was to make sure your kids were as safe as possible that that parent no good parent should have been a christian because they were actually putting their children in the most dangerous situations possible but see if we ex- accept the world's ideas the world's ideas is we we you know i protect my own i provide for my own But Jesus came to change that. He said, it's not just about you and yours. It's about all of us. And he said, it's not about who's the strongest. It's not about who's the most powerful, who's the smartest, who's the richest. It's not about whoever dies with the most toys wins. No, whoever dies with the most toys still dies. And he came to say, "No, you got not. You only. You not only got all the rules wrong. You got the game wrong. It's about the kingdom. It's not about power. It's about love." And it's not about that twisted, weird love you have in your power world. It's the love that I have. The love that loves when when there is nothing to gain. The love that loves when it's dangerous. We were talking about this this morning in Sunday school. It's the love that loves when it's messy and it's awkward and it's weird. It's that love that that it's sometimes routine and sometimes full of surprises but it's unconditional you love the stranger as well as the friend that's why it's the lamb who'd been slain reminds us of the verse the lamb being led to slaughter speaking no words you know, we read in the gospel that this, this lamb, Jesus, all the way as he's being beaten and mocked and, and he's being falsely accused and, and he's hanging on the cross, at any moment, the gospels tell us he could have called a legion of angels to set him free. At any moment. And he doesn't. Because had Jesus done that, He would have forever endorsed our way of doing things. He would have said, see, the most powerful is what matters the most. And so you messed with the most powerful being in the universe. And now you're going to pay. It's like, no. The most powerful being in the universe came to serve, came to die. He was humble. He loved unconditionally. It's the kingdom. Verses 9 and 10, we get these really powerful verses that that, that tells us about where these you know where these people in in the throne room are from, and and it's in it's, and where the, the ransomed come from, and it's like every tribe, every language, every people, every nation, and it says you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God. See, that's what God is doing. He's forming this this kingdom of priests. And by the way, that doesn't mean a kingdom of me's. You know, pastors. It's you. It's all of us. When, when, we become, when we become Christians, we no longer can say, I, I'm just a member. I, I just show up. Every I, you know, I, I help, I support, but I just show up. No. It says we're kingdom of priests. Two things going on here that I think are really important. One is where these priests come from, that we know that if the ransomed are being called from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. This is the picture of the throne room of God. Phil read this prayer that people read all the time and they recite in churches, you know, and some people memorize. They call it the Lord's Prayer. But it says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Guess what? You just got a peek in the window of heaven. And in heaven, people don't get together on Sunday morning in heaven and say, hey, all you African-American Christians, you go over here to your building. And you Koreans, you go over here. And you Hispanics, you go over here. And you, you know, you 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 get in your group. And you local people, you get in your group. That's how you do it. If you want God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, then we have to look like heaven. We can't simply say, I'm going to be among people who are like me, my age, like the kind of music I like, you know, have the same interest, my ethnicity, my maturity in the faith. No. No. Heaven is this celebration this of a the most diverse population. You're like, uh, you know, okay, well, we can be segregated down here because forever we'll be all together, right? That'll be okay? No. We're to be the kingdom here. Right here, right now. I I'm sad, you know, for different reasons that Itoria is leaving. You know, I'm sad because she's leaving, but I'm also sad because. You know, there is a growing Micronesian population in Hawaii. There's a growing Micronesian population in Palolo. And I may be mistaken, some of you may be Micronesian and I can't tell, but as far as I know, Itori is the only one that's ever come here. We're going to be less when she leaves, why is that? Why is that? Every tribe, every language, every people, every nation—Are we the kind of church where people who come from every different part of walk of life can come here? And I, you can't make people not feel weird. Anytime you go in a new situation, you can feel weird, but. But they may feel weird, but they but they know they're loved. And they know that they're accepted. But get the other part too. They're not, it's not simply diversity. It's not simply let's all just get along. He says, a kingdom of priests. A kingdom of priests, not a kingdom of warriors, but a kingdom of priests. And this tells us that that. That, that we have this connection to God. We can go to God for sure and we can serve and love one another for sure. But it also talks about holiness. We're a kingdom of priests because we know that the only way our body stays together, our community stays together is if we are increasingly becoming more and more like God. We don't leave holiness behind in the name of unity. We don't leave behind what the Bible says about sexual immorality, about honesty, about you know having you know the kind of murderous angry thoughts, lust, all of those things. We don't leave those we're just gonna we want diversity, so we want every kind of sinner here possible. No. What we want is we want people who are on the journey of becoming more and more like Christ. But where they started their journey? All different places. This is a kingdom of holy love overflowing. And let me tell you something weird about love that's not true about anything else. If, if you fill your cup up with water and it overflows, it's wasted, right? The water that falls out is wasted. But when love overflows, when God's love overflows, it's never wasted. We can never have too much of that. I would love to have the you know, exit cards for people who visit our church and don't want to come back. And they say, you know, the reason I want to come back is because people are like, they're too loving. You know, there's just too much love. You know? I mean, at, at least I can go, yeah, okay, it's good. Love overflowing. And not just love, but holy love. You see, the final chapter of the world that we read in Revelations is the first chapter of Forever with God. And what that tells us is that this world, this world order, everything that it's based on, it needs to go away so that things can be based on what God's kingdom will be based on. And you would might say, like, God, why don't you just do it? Why don't you just do it? Well, he is doing it. Jesus is continuing to do this, and he's doing this through us. And we're going to fail. And we're going to get up and keep going. But we have to. That's the path that he's laid out for us. We need to not just be given love, we need to not just be given holiness. We need to know what it's worth because we've lived it and we've seen what our lives are like and what our world is like without it. You know, I use this Charlie Brown Christmas as the kind of the background for this and this sermon series. And, you know, Charlie Brown wants a better Christmas. He wants a better world you know he does what he can but he, he can't really do much god has given each of us and god has given all of us so much that we can do to help bit by bit have his kingdom more fully realized in this world what is jesus continuing to do hopefully He's continuing to work in you. Hopefully, he's continuing to work in us so that we give more and more people a peek into the throne room of heaven. Let's pray.